And as I mentioned earlier, I love the week of Thanksgiving. And today's message is called Thanksgiving, our American Holy Day. And as we move through the talk today, it'll make more sense. And I want to review some American history with you. And it's not just static, distant history. It's a real life story that is meant uh, this morning to inspire us all to trust the Lord more. The pilgrims left England in 1620, 102 pilgrims. That's a significant number you want to remember. 102 people came to start a new world and they traveled seven long weeks. November 9th, 1620, they arrived here in the North America, Cape Cod, and they were out of food, but they found abandoned corn and it would be that corn that would sustain them that first long, cold New England winter. And we've had a cold uh, November here and we're not too far from Massachusetts so we could understand the inhospitable weather that may have faced the pilgrims as they landed. But I want you to hear some, some really tough statistics for 102 people. Six died in December. Eight in January of 1621. 17 in February. In the month of February, 1621, two to three people were dying each day. They would bury their dead at night because they were afraid of hostile uh, Native Americans who may see their decreasing ranks. In March, it was the worst month, 13 perished. When the worst was over, 47 of the 102 had perished. That's almost half of the original people who arrived on the Mayflower uh, died in that harsh first winter. And then one day, something amazing happened. A Native American entered their village. That must have been such a startling experience for them. But to their surprise, he was an English-speaking man named Samoset. He had traveled to England and had picked up English. And so the next week, he brought another English-speaking Native American named Squanto. William Bradford, who was the first governor of the colony, said this, Squanto was a special instrument sent from God for our good beyond our expectation. Squanto had been captured and taken back to England where he had learned English, he'd come back to the new world, back again, and he was always drawn back to his native land like we often are. But just a few weeks before the pilgrims arrived, Squanto returned and found that every single person from his tribe had been wiped out. And so that's when he joined uh, uh, the Wampanoag tribe with Massasoit as their chief. It was probably, I mean, we think the only Indian tribe that would have been kind and benevolent to these pilgrims. And by providence, this boat had landed in a unique place where they would be welcomed. This is a reminder to us, too, that cooperation of cultures that are unfamiliar to us can often help us most reflect the, the greatness of God because we have, we have a lot to learn from other cultures. 
We have this natural inclination to be fearful of people we don't know or understand instead of seeing them as a gift. But the very genesis of what would become the United States succeeded and survived because various cultures were able to learn from one another. And it reflects the greatness and creativity of our God. So Squanto stayed with the pilgrims. He taught them how to fish for eels with their feet and hands. Uh, it was April by this point, so he taught them how to plant corn and how to use fish as fertilizers. Fertilizer, excuse me. He warned them to guard against wolves who would eat their fish that were decomposing as fertilizers. By, by the summer, that first summer, there were 20 acres of corn that were flourishing and that would be needed for the next winter. He taught them to stock deer, plant pumpkins, refine maple syrup from maple trees to, dis- to discern what were herbs and berries that were useful and not poisonous. He taught them the value of the beaver pelt. And so God used this man, Squanto, who faced unbelievable adversity in his life, where all of his tribe was wiped out, captured and recaptured, But by the words of William Bradford himself, this is not interpretive history. This is straight from the source. He was a gift from God for them. And so Governor Bradford declared a day of thanksgiving. And Chief Massasoit invited nearly 90 warriors. And for three days, they ate, played games, and rooted for the Dallas Cowboys to win again. I hear a hallelujah in the house. So before the second winter started, this seemed to be great news. A second ship arrived from England and there were 35 new colonists. That would be great news, but they were depleted of all rations. So what that meant, there was more mouths to feed and more sick people. And there was a very difficult winter ahead. And so because there had been corn planted, there was a time in that very difficult second winter when each of the pilgrims were given five kernels of corn per person to eat each day. They survived that winter and no one died of starvation, but it was tough. And then there was a 12 week drought once the weather broke and it was prayer that broke that drought. And so a second Thanksgiving was planted. This time, this time Chief Massasoit and 120 braves attended. And the very first course that was served was an empty plate in front of each person with five kernels of corn on it. This is the heritage and the genesis of this wonderful week we're about to, we're about to enjoy. And I, I wanted to read some of that story because we sometimes wrongly believe that Thanksgiving is like this Norman Rockwell painting of perfection and that at Thanksgiving, all of our lives are supposed to be perfect. No family problems, no shortage of funds, no, no strife, no arguments, And because of that, we uh, create this idealism that no one can live up to. 
I mean, no one can live, live up to this, this idea of a perfect family. Can I just remind you through this historical story that the forefathers of this nation, they didn't have it easy on Thanksgiving. It was a time of great, great struggle. But they thanked God, not because their lives were perfect, but because whatever adversity had come, when tough times and when unexpected circumstances and things you could not anticipate, and if, you were, if they had been warned about it, they would not have faced the challenge. And as, as tough as it was and as regrettable as some of these things were and as irreplaceable as some of the loss was, they made it another year. Guys, that is our story too. We are people of resilience. We are people of endurance. We are people who overcome obstacles. We are not people who live stress-free, easy lives with no problems to solve. We are people who face really tough losses and really tough circumstances. But thank God, by his grace, we're going to sit down for another Thanksgiving meal and we're going to follow the tradition of our, of, of our nation and our country. And we're going to thank God, not out of some kind of obligation or, or trying to just um, show some kind of uh, some kind of custom that our heart's not even attached to. We're gonna thank God from the core of our being because he has brought us through things we could not anticipate. And the same God who did it for us before will continue to do it again. So this is a couple of things I want you to think about as you enter into this wonderful week. The Thanksgiving season reminds us, number one, that we should believe that God's plan for you is bigger than you. Believe that God's plan for you is bigger than you. It's really hard to think outside of ourselves. We, we are mostly interested in us. And so in every situation, our initial reaction is, how do I feel? How does this affect me? How does, how does this affect my dreams? You know, when I, and I, I preach often on, on individual achievement, uh, through the scripture and the energy level rises when I start talking about your dreams and your vision and your ministry. I mean, everybody likes to hear that. Everybody likes to hear about how special we are to God. And while all of that is true and good, because of that, it's very difficult to see that God is sometimes working way beyond us. And there's something bigger and it's something bigger than we can even see in our lifetime often. In our very lifetime, we may not see the work of God that God is accomplishing through our, our, our lives, through our difficulties, through our challenges, through our circumstances. And that's why it takes something called faith to trust that God is working even when life stinks in the moment. God is at work. The prophet Isaiah was talking to a group of people who we're in a time of religious and national decay. And these are the words that we read together earlier with Beth and we'll read again with Pastor Beth in my heart. That's what she is to me. Rejoice, childless one who did not give birth. Burst into songs and shout for you who have not been in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than the children of the married woman, says the Lord. And let's just talk about this for a second. God is calling 
and speaking into spiritual barrenness. And he's saying, I want you to rejoice because even though you've been barren and there, there's been no spiritual fruit, that you are going to have more fruit in your life than those that you recognize as fruitful now. Let's read it again. Rejoice, childless one. I, I wanna say, those of you who, who are dealing with, with, with spiritual barrenness, and you're not seeing the fruit in your life that you expected. You're not seeing things that you imagine. Maybe someone that, that in your estimation doesn't have integrity is more earthly prosperous than you right now. And they're fruitful, but you're barren. This is what the Lord says. Rejoice, childless one who did not give birth. Burst into song and shout, you who have not been in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than the children of the married one, says the Lord. This is impossible without God. How can this be? This is why it's a God thing. And this is what the Lord says in verse two. Enlarge the side of your tent and let your tent curtains be stretched out. Do not hold back. Lengthen your ropes and drive your pegs deep for you will spread out to the right and to the left, and your descendants will dispossess nations and inhabit the desolate cities. God's saying here, get ready. Get ready to remodel. Get ready to expand. Get ready because you think you're fruitless and you think you're barren, but God is going to do something that you cannot even imagine and you can't even see yet. Then here's the part that sometimes we don't like that may not even be for you. It may be for the next generation. Guys, a righteous person lives for the next generation. We have to be people who say we are not looking for self-gratifying fruit. We're not looking only for things that self-gratify us. We are setting up a multi-generational line of faith that our descendants would know the Lord and to make him known. And so, Lord, it's okay if I have a little less now so they have a little bit more later. Lord, I don't want earthly success and to lose my soul and have no spiritual heritage to pass on to anybody else. I'm not talking just about children here that are in our home. I'm talking about your family, the people you're connected with, the people who are part of your life. You're an influencer. You're someone who's going to bring a different, make a difference to someone else. And you have to believe that God is up to something bigger than you can even see. Zion had lost inhabitants. It's a metaphorical city and it's depicted as abandoned, deserted, vacant. But God says the children someday will be so many that the borders must be expanded to even contain them. Guys, we can't even see what's happening in our culture today. We have to say this, is we're gonna be faithful people, faithful to the scripture, faithful to church participation, faithful to our devotional life, faithful to our moral life, faithful to say no to sin and yes to God because we are holding the line. We are living not just for ourselves, we're living for the generation coming after us. And I believe, that we can see a third great awakening in America if God's people are not worldly and God's people get serious about prayer and their faith. Guys, what we now see as barren can be fruitful again with the Lord's direction. I told you that almost half the pilgrims died. There was a man named Edward Winslow who lost his wife. And there was a woman named Susanna White who lost her husband. Both lost their spouses and both remarried to each other. 
when there's only 80 people in the colony, your choices are pretty limited, right? Someone told me that's the law of proclivity. Those who are closest to you, you tend to fall in love with. So Edward Winslow and Susanna White remarried in a Christian marriage, and there was a huge celebration. Obviously, that was not, we can assume, ideal. It's not what they expected. It's not probably what they preferred. But from that marriage, I discovered this in 2010. Don't, don't, don't shout me down through NPR. So this was not something in the middle of the night on TBN that someone twisted, okay? This is a historical fact from a secular source that millions of Americans today are direct descendants of the marriage of Edward Winslow and Susanna White. Isn't that crazy? Something that wasn't chosen, something that wasn't preferred, something that was gut-wrenching grief and hard. God used it. No doubt that there's probably people in this room who have descended from that couple. One estimate said 35 million Americans. I don't know how accurate that is, but it's a lot. The point is this, is that God is working in ways that are bigger than you can see now. And so sometimes we just have to trust him. God, I don't know why I got this diagnosis. I don't know why I lost this job. God, I don't know why the car broke down on the way to grandma's today and I can't get a hold of a mechanic. God, I don't understand the timing of this. God, I don't understand why that family member doesn't want to connect with me now. But can we trust the Lord that he's up to something big and no matter how tough the circumstance, how difficult, how unwelcome, how less than ideal it is, our God, God does not waste time, experience, years, or decades, our lives. He is at work even when we cannot see. And so we see here that number two, know that God is loving you in the middle of adversity. Right in the middle of the adversity, God is loving you. God is close to the brokenhearted. God cares about those who are going through difficult times. We need the Lord during tough times. And those are the times we run from the Lord. So if you have this part of you that wants to withdraw from the Lord and the things of God right now, it's probably what you need the most. We often, we often shrink back from that what we need. This is what further in Isaiah 54, the Lord said, though the mountains move, this is verse 10, though the mountains move and the hills shake, that's, that's a pretty, pretty difficult circumstance. My love will not be removed from you and my covenant of peace will not be shaken, says your compassionate Lord. For someone in here, that's a word from the Lord today. Write it down, mark it in your Bible, read it about seven or eight times a day. Come on, though the mountains move and the hills shake. How many know that mountains and hills seem like places of stability? Though everything else changes, the mountains and the hills are there. The Lord says, even when they, the, those shake, even when those move, my love will not be removed from you. My covenant of peace will not be shaken, says your compassionate God. Our Thanksgiving story as Americans is not one of flawless perfection. It's not one of ease. It's not one of idealism. Our story is a story of death and lack and challenge and resourcefulness where we had to take 
a few kernels of corn and survive through each day because of that. It's not a story of independence. It's a story of dependence. It's a story of trust. It's a story of miracles. It's a story of God coming through in ways we can't even conceptualize. That is our story. So don't belittle your story. And don't go to this Thanksgiving week and think that somehow God doesn't love you as much because you're going through a tough time and stuff is a little bit hard and stuff is a little bit difficult. I've had some Thanksgivings that, that were really, really tough on me emotionally. And my, the, the, the specifics of those aren't important now, but I can tell you there's been four or five that I can think of that would bring tears to my eyes very quickly. But the Lord was with me, though the mountains shake. The Lord was with me. The compassionate God never, never leaves us. So here's a third point that I want to make from the scripture today. Three, trust God's protection from unknown weapons. Trust God's protection from unknown weapons. One of the scriptures we love is, is no weapon formed against me will prosper. And that, that is a good scripture to claim in a lot of different situations, but we know this biblically. We know this from Jesus' teaching himself. It doesn't mean we have a trouble-free life. You know, I claim that over many things. Words spoken against me, attacks from the enemy, that's a good thing. No weapon, no weapon formed against me will prosper. But I want us to look at the scripture again in context, because it's talking about a a future time, a time when Christ rules and reigns the earth and the global conflict is gone. And so now we say, Lord, as in heaven, let it be on earth. So we, we, we claim God's promises today and we claim it over every situation. But we understand this is that the weapons that are really formed against us are weapons against our faith. Weapons against our affection for God. Weapons against our love for the Lord. Because people are being taken out of the faith all the time through weapons of prosperity and weapons of success and weapons of promotion. And those weapons are coming and people are not dedicated to the ways of the Lord because they cannot handle success. Do you understand that sometimes a weapon against you can be something that you truly love and even desire and even lust after? And and this can be a weapon that assaults your soul. Other times, weapons are, are weapons of adversity. And, and, and we, we structure our life with this mindset that God's people never struggle. God's people never trouble, have trouble. God's people never have challenges. And then when a little bit of challenge, like there's a weapon against us, comes against us, we bail out of our faith. And the Lord is saying this. He's not saying you won't have trouble because Jesus said in this world you'll have trouble. He's saying this, that every weapon of trouble, every weapon of success, every weapon, good or bad, that comes against you cannot stop the work of God in your life. So this is what the scripture says in verse 15 of Isaiah 54. If anyone attacks you, it is not from me. Whoever attacks you will fall before you. Verse 16. And this talks about the sovereignty of the Lord. This will make you think for a while. Look, I've created the craftsman who blows on the charcoal fire and produces a weapon suitable for its task. And I have created the destroyer to cause havoc. That'll make you think a little bit, won't it? We don't really talk about verse 16. We just like verse 17. But here's what verse 17 says. But no weapon formed against you will succeed. And you will refute any accusation raised against you in court. This is the heritage 
of the Lord's servant, servants, and their vindication is from me. This is the Lord's declaration. So the Lord is saying, whatever weapons, weapons of disease, weapons of depression, weapons of relational conflict, weapons of strife, weapons of unemployment, weapons of a a society in decay, these will not stop God's work in me. And that is why I give thanks to God on this day, because he he has gotten me through every challenge that I have faced. That's a reason to thank God. So here's my third point today. We're going to end happy. How about that? How many like to end a sermon happy? A happy, happy sermon. Number three, celebrate and enjoy. This is the word of the Lord to you today. God is commanding you to celebrate. I want that to sink in for a second. God wants you to celebrate. There's a time to fast, and there's a time to mourn, and there's a time to repent and be sorry, sorrow for, have sorrow for our sin. But there are biblical appointed times to rejoice. And if we don't rejoice and if we don't celebrate, then we're not fully human. I mean, if someone is too serious ever to laugh or goof off, I don't trust that person anyway. I'm like, who are you, man? I mean, joke a little bit, you know, joke a little bit. We've got two staff member, new staff members, and they actually think I'm funny. All of the people who've been around for years, they don't think I'm funny. So I don't know if it's just they're new on the job or whatever, but like, like they think I'm really funny because laughing is very important. And Aubrey, you think, of, oh, it's not Aubrey, sorry. It's Josh, sorry. <laughs> okay, well, uh, Pastor Aubrey's somewhere out there, and he, he laughs at my jokes too. Okay, so... The, the Jewish people actually started their year with the Feast of Trumpets. And the Lord commanded them to rejoice during that time. The New Testament tells us this. Philippians 4.4, 4, rejoice in the Lord always. That's talking about with any circumstance. I will say it again, rejoice. And so this continued the Jewish tradition of having times of celebration having feast, eating, drinking, sharing. Jesus was here to save the world. And what, where did he go for his first miracle? He went to a wedding where he partied for days. Jesus went and enjoyed long meals with tax collectors and people and was accused of being a glutton and was accused of being a drunk. This is what Richard Foster, one of my, probably my favorite author, wrote about this, when he wrote about the celebration, the discipline of celebration. He says, the most important benefit of celebration is that it saves us from taking ourselves too seriously. Celebration adds a note of gaiety, festivity, hilarity to our lives. We do need deeper, more earthly experiences of exhilaration. It is healing and refreshing to cultivate a wide appreciation for life. Celebration helps us relax and enjoy the good things of the earth. Isn't that good? Isn't that a word of wisdom? So this is what Nehemiah told the people of God who had not been celebrating the Feast of Trumpets. Nehemiah said this in chapter 8, verse 10. Go and enjoy what is rich, drink what is sweet, and send portions to those who have nothing prepared. That's why I referred to the Thanksgiving blessing earlier. Isn't that good? 
that we maybe even unknowingly follow the scripture. Do not grieve because the joy of the Lord is your strength. Part of having the joy of the Lord is participating in the discipline of celebration. So thus saith the Lord God Almighty, eat turkey and dressing and do not count the carbs in the name of Jesus for one day. Play games and watch sports and watch movies and laugh a little bit and let's celebrate this week because he, he has made us glad. And let's not live with the insecurity that somehow everyone else has a perfect life and we don't. That, that, that is the accuser telling you something that's not true. This American holy day, the Jews had their holy day that some of us still celebrate. Some of you still celebrate the feast and that's a good thing to do. But we have stumbled into this day since Abraham Lincoln's declaration in, in, in the 1860s. And, and now we celebrate this unbiblical day, but it has a principle that we're called to celebrate and enjoy rich foods and good drink and play games because the joy of the Lord is your strength.